together for him tonight. Hallelujah. Amen. Why don't you sing this song with me? I will enter his gates with thanksgiving. Amen. Key of C, I believe it is. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I'll enter his courts with praise. I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. Yes, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. Oh, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. And I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. And I will say this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh yes, he has made me glad. Yes, he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, oh he has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. Oh let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed, praise the Lord. Oh, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I'm redeemed, I'm redeemed. Praise the Lord, I've been redeemed by love divine, oh glory, glory, Christ is mine, all oh, to Him I have resigned, oh I have been, I've been redeemed by love divine, oh glory, Christ is mine, all to Him I now resolve, I have been, I Amen, hallelujah, sorry I think we had it in a little bit of a high key there for you, amen, hallelujah, you love Him, amen, let's sing another uh, 
song slips my mind. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. That's it. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, for He is worthy to be praised. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, for He is worthy to be praised. Blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, oh blessed be the rock, and blessed be the rock of my salvation. Well, glory, glory to his name, he lives and reigns forevermore. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna. Blessed be the rock. Blessed be the rock of my salvation. Jehovah Jireh is his name. For he provideth all my needs. Jehovah. Jireh is his name, for he provideth all my need. Hosanna, oh blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Hosanna, blessed be the rock, blessed be the rock of my salvation. Amen. Could we bring it up to the key of G? If you're in the battle for the Lord and right, amen. We want to keep on the firing line. Let's sing it together. Well, if you're in the battle for the Lord and right, keep on the firing line. If you win, my brother, surely you must fight. Keep on the firing line. There are many dangers that we all must face. If we die of fighting, it is no disgrace. A coward in the service, he will find no place. So keep on the firing line. Well, you must fight, be brave against all the Never run or even lag behind. And if you win, got in the right, just keep on the firing line. Listen now, well, God will only use a soldier. 
trust, right? Keep on the firing line. And if you wear a crown, then bear the cross you love. So just keep on the firing line. Life is but to labor for the master dear. Built to banish evil and to spread good cheer. Service here for oh, keep on the firing line. Well, you must fight, be brave against all evil. Never run or even lag behind. If you will, oh, just keep on the firing line. And when we get to heaven. Just keep on that firing line And when we see the souls that we have helped to win Leading them to Jesus from the paths of sin And with a shout of welcome we'll all march in Oh, keep on the firing line Sing it now Will you must fight be brave against all evil Hallelujah, oh hallelujah Well he's my rock and my shield Yes he gives power to all Hallelujah, oh hallelujah And now I'm free from condemnation Cause Jesus is the rock oh, of my salvation I can run through the truth and leap over a wall Hallelujah, oh hallelujah, sing it now. Well, I can run through a tree and leap over a wall. Hallelujah, oh hallelujah. Well, he's my rock and my shield, and he gives power to all. Hallelujah, oh hallelujah. And now I'm free from condemnation Jesus is the rock of my salvation I can run through the truth and leap over a wall Hallelujah Oh Hallelujah Amen, give him some more praise Hallelujah Amen, aren't you glad you're free from Good evening everyone God bless you and welcome to our broadcast on this Wednesday night I appreciate each and every one of you being there, being here tonight, and uh, look forward to a little uh, time of fellowship in the Lord, and uh, just trust that God will meet with us and minister to our needs and the needs of our assembly tonight. Um, I didn't get to send out an update today, but I wanted to give you uh, this update in person, just so that you know what's taking place, and uh, if you have a 
piece of paper and a pen and you want to make a prayer list, now would be the time to do that. There's somebody who's there with you in the family, and um, we're just going to invite you to pray together. Um, I notice now that there are a couple of uh, prayer groups that are starting around the country uh, for the people who've been affected by the uh, virus, and so that's not a bad thing to do. And, you know, Brother Branham taught us that uh, we can never pray too much. So uh, this evening, uh, I've invited Brother John Cockman to take the service, and uh, I appreciate Brother John doing that for me. I was tied up today all day in a video conference, and so uh, I asked Brother John if he would uh, take care of that for me, and uh, he's agreed to do that. And uh, so I just trust that uh, what is said today will be an encouragement and a blessing to all of you. And uh, let me give you the, the prayer requests here, uh, first of all, and uh, just so that you'll have these and then we'll uh, join together. And for you and your family, just pull together and uh, um, bind your requests now with these as well. Uh, as you know, we've had a surge in our church and uh, all of a sudden from uh, maybe the last couple of services, we've just had um, just um, an, you know a, a surge of infection there and uh, got loose. And so, uh, let me give you the update so that you'll know what's taking place. But first of all, I want you to remember Sister Connie Hughes and um, Brother Troy's not been feeling well, but Sister Connie went to the dentist and had a, a numbing shot given to her and it touched her nerve. And since then, she's not been able to fully close her left eye. She's got to go to her eye doctor, a specialist tomorrow to see what they're going to do about that. But whenever you have a nerve issue, uh, it's, it's pretty difficult to repair. And uh, I've just been thinking about that all day. And I, I've just, my goodness, that must be a, a, you know, a very uncomfortable thing. So if you don't mind remembering Sister Connie uh, and Sister Connie, let me say to you, we sure will remember that need uh, tonight and through the week. Um, also as well, I'm going to ask you to remember Sister Sheila McComas out in Arkansas. Uh, many of you know the McComases, Brother Frank, uh, been in our church many times, been to Africa many times with us. And uh, Sister Sheila has multiple fractures in her lower spine. And uh, they're doing a special scan on her on Thursday, and they'll have some results on Friday. <clears throat> She's been in excruciating pain, and uh, we want to remember her in prayer and just trust that the Lord will minister to her. She's bedridden and um, having to take uh, pain medication has just been very difficult for her. So as far as the virus uh, in our church, uh, I want you to remember Brother Tom Ward and Brother Tom's been tested. Uh, he's got some symptoms and uh, we want to remember him. And of course, Sister Kim, who's his uh, faithful wife and nurse. The Johnson family, Joel, Crystal, Sister Haley, uh, are all tested positive, and um, we want to pray for them and also for Grace as well. Uh, the Brown family, uh, Brother Jaron, Sister Chanel, Caitlin, and Ava, uh, all uh, they have not all been tested, but they all have symptoms, and Joel, uh, sorry, Jaron has been uh, tested positive. Uh, the Jackson family, Jeff, Brother Jeff, Sister Anna, Sister Anna had uh, testing done, she is positive. And so we want to remember uh, the Jackson family in prayer. Sister Amber McCall, who tested positive. Uh, Brother Mitchell Buchanan also was tested and waiting on results today. Sister Rachel Coffey uh, tested positive uh, yesterday. 
And so we want to remember her in prayer, Brother David, Sister Karen Morglier. Uh, we want to remember them in prayer and um, just trust that the Lord will uh, minister to them. Sister Karen Buchanan, uh, she has been tested and she's waiting on results. They believe it'll come in tomorrow. And then uh, lastly, we want to remember the Paschals. And Brother Joe and Sister Lisa both tested positive. Their results came in just a couple of moments ago. And uh, Brother Joe is uh, not well. He's just uh, having a tough time with the virus. And if you don't mind remembering um, them in prayer as well, uh, just trust that the Lord will bless them. And then uh, Brother Joseph Jr. as well. And uh, just praying that God will protect that family and, and give them a speedy recovery. Uh, we know that some of you have a family support system in place in order to get help, get supplies, get uh, do errands, get groceries and that kind of thing. And that's great. Um, that's a good thing to have a family uh, close by if you're able to uh, help out. If you do not, uh, the Bible tells us in Proverbs 17, 17, that a friend loveth at all times, but a brother is born for adversity. So we have people standing by in the church who are willing to come to your place or willing to do errands, get your groceries, help get medications if you need them, uh, to do any kind of uh, you know job that needs to be done. So we really want you to let us know uh, if there is some way we can help, either materially or with gift cards or uh, sometimes a meal or financially in any way. Uh, we're trying to be in contact with every one of the families and we would certainly like to know because um, it is important for the strong to support those that are weak. And so we would ask you to, uh, you know, just be, feel free to let us know. We know that folks who are not feeling well would do the same thing for those of us who are feeling well. And, um, you know, it's, ju it's just important for us to uh, have that compassion within the body. And when one member hurts, we all hurt. And so we just pray that the Lord will undertake for all of these families and uh, allow us to be able to help in whatever way we can. It's been a historic day today in Washington, and uh, it's just sad to see the events that are taking place there. And, uh, you know, the, the just that shadow that hangs over uh, our nation's capital. Uh, but I will just have to say it again that, uh, you know, you're, you're observing, you're living to see uh, a world falling apart. And um, it's, it's a sad and disheartening thing to see. Um, I want to give you a little piece of good news, though. And uh, I think it's nice to be able to do that. I got a, a little series of pictures that I want to show you on Sunday, which I was really blessed by. Uh, that came out of Africa today. But I just wanted to report to you that uh, there was that large shipment of books that uh, were sent to Zambia. They have arrived in Lusaka. They are in the hands of the believers there. And that's the Church Age book and the Seals book and the Adoption book in Daniel 70 Weeks. Uh, they've arrived there and the brothers are very excited about that. Uh, books have also arrived in the Port of Columbia in South America. And uh, because of the virus, everything is very slow and they have not been able to get the books uh, freed out of uh, storage yet in Colombia, but they're at the port and ready to go. They're all very excited about that. Our English books uh, now that are going to uh, Ghana, South Africa, Zimbabwe, and England, uh, they're also being printed now. They're finishing the final version of it and uh, it'll be on the boat very soon. We're also starting a project now in Malawi. So there's a bunch of material that's being prepared for printing there. 
So we're very excited for all of that. And uh, that's a good thing to see the word of the Lord still uh, traveling out, even in uh, these dark times. Take your request tonight and let's bring those needs before the Lord. Let's bow our heads together. Heavenly Father, Lord, our hearts are just burdened, Lord, for the many people that have needs tonight, people in our church that are hurting. And Lord, truly, when one member hurts, we all hurt. Father, as a pastor, Lord, it would just be so nice to be able to go and and just to be with each of these families as they're hurting and in the discomfort and the the inconvenience that they have, Lord. Father, we lift them up in prayer and just ask that your grace would be sufficient, that, Lord, your healing virtue would flow. Father, that they would be forgiven of every sin, of everything, Lord, that might hinder the moving of the Holy Spirit. Give them all a quick recovery, Lord, we pray. And just minister to their weakness, I pray, and just, uh, Lord, come come alongside and just be present in their homes, Lord. Sometimes when we're feeling so badly, it's difficult to pray and difficult to be strong in the faith. But we who are strong, Lord, we lift up those who are suffering tonight, Lord, and going through this season of adversity. We curse this affliction. We curse this virus in the name of Jesus and pray, dear God, that you would just give us relief and healing and allow us, Lord, I pray, to assemble back in the church again. Father, we commit our every need to you, Lord. We think of Sister Connie and Sister Sheila. <clears throat> we think, Lord, of the many others who are hurting tonight, not only in our assembly, but in our area and in our world, Lord. We just ask for your mercy to the believers everywhere. Father, have your way tonight, we pray. Bless this service and the words of encouragement. We just pray that you would just move Brother John out of the way. <laughs> Let him just simply be a microphone, Lord, that you can speak through him. And we'll commit his uh, time into your hands, Lord. In the name of Jesus Christ, we ask and pray. Amen and amen. God bless you, saints. Amen. Thank you, Brother Coffee. I tell you what, it was certainly sobering to listen to that list of prayer requests and medical updates. And um, But the Lord has not given us a spirit of fear. Amen. And um, if you would with me, Brother Coffee had mentioned maybe we could sing a little chorus to begin. I know we've already had a song service, but if you're sitting with your uh, loved ones, just reach out and take them by the hand. And... Um, Let's sing a little bit of Only Believe. It's a course that Brother Branham loved to start his, uh, his services with. Just a cappella here. Only believe. Only believe. All things are possible. Only believe. Only only believe all things are possible only believe lord i believe lord i believe lord i believe sing it to him all things are possible, Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. Lord, I believe. 
things are possible, Lord, I believe. One more time, Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Do you believe it? All things are possible. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. Jesus is here. All things are possible. Jesus is here. Amen. That's beautiful. My sermon title tonight is Christ Liveth in Me. And if we believe that Jesus is here, it's not because of some outward falling that comes upon you, really. Like you would think about more of it in, in an Old Testament sense, and even in the New Testament. But it's because Jesus is here, He's living and dwelling within the Christian heart. And um, it should be obvious to us that when two or three are gathered together, He's in our midst because we bring Him with us. And um, what I'd like to do is start reading here in Galatians 2, starting at verse 19. Most of my scriptures here come from the New, James, New King James Version. For, though, for I through the law died to the law, that I might live to God... And what we're going to do here is start drawing a contrast between the Old and the New Testament. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. And so what Paul is doing here in Galatians, he's drawing a clear separation between the New Testament and the Old Testament. And so what we find is that there is a new dispensation that takes place. The law, we are, we are dead to it. And now Christ is living in us. Those tablets of stone have been replaced by by, uh, a law written on the tables of human flesh. He's given us a heart uh, of of flesh that we might live in him and he in us. And so uh, when Brother Coffey had uh, given me a a text to me and asked if I would take the sermon tonight, I had been reading in a sermon by Brother Branham called The Anointed Ones at the End Time. And I want to use that for the basis of my text tonight. Because there's a lot of confusion about the work of the Holy Spirit before Christ and after Christ. And I believe that there is a substitution that has taken place that goes against the clear teachings of the New Testament and tries to pull us back into an Old Testament sort of understanding of the efficacy of the Holy Spirit before the sacrifice of Christ. But Christ said, if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. 
And so if you believe that you can have the Holy Spirit in the same way that the Old Testament uh, believers or non-believers had the Holy Spirit, then you know what? Christ died in vain. You have got to have an event that takes place at the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ that says the old has been done away with. Here is the new. The old, uh, you know, before Christ, people were baptized with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them, but in the, but in the new system, it's no longer uh, just the working of the Holy Spirit coming upon you and then leaving you, coming upon you and forsaking you. But the action of the Holy Spirit, that uh, sort of a mystical interface with um, that predestinated seed that lies within your heart, brings Christ down. And now Christ is living in you in a way that he did not live in those Old Testament saints. Something new has happened. And uh, if you think that we've just gone from one to the next without something new, then Christ to you has died in vain. The new birth is all about the Holy Spirit baptism, but something is left. A seed now begins to grow. A new life is now within the believer. So, so we've read that. What I want to do when, um, is kind of take you back a little bit to Brother Branham's experience in Pentecost. And as he relates in the message, anointed ones at the end time, he got kind of a shocker when he came into Pentecost because now suddenly he was seeing people baptized in the Holy Spirit in the Old Testament sense. And so because he had this idea that baptism of the Holy Spirit meant salvation, meant regeneration, meant everything, meant you're saved, you're on the road to heaven, there's no way that you can fall. Then suddenly he gets among people that are actually showing the fruits of the Spirit or the gifts of the Spirit, prophesying, speaking in tongues, um, etc. And suddenly he realizes by looking at their lives, even has a vision of one and, sh- and shows that he's living in sin, yet Another brother and he are speaking in tongues and interpreting with each other. And he doesn't understand how can this happen. How can you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and still be living a life of sin and going towards hell? And so as he was reading in the Bible, he came across two texts. And these are the texts he used for the sermon, Anointed Ones of the End Time. First of all, let me read for you from Matthew 24, verse 24. Christ says, For there shall arise false Christs, false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that, if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Why would, and when Brother Branham took a look at this, he said, you know what, I begin to see that these weren't just false Jesuses. These are false Christ. Christ means someone who has an anointing. Even David called Saul God's Christ, because he was the one who was anointed, in this case, literally anointed with oil by Samuel. The same anointing that David had, Saul got that anointing as well. One was a child of God, one was a child of the devil. And so, um, but still, he was God's anointed. David called him Christ, as we read in, in the King James Version, the anointed one. And so, but Brother Brennan began to realize that these false Christs didn't have false anointings. They had true anointings. 
This was truly the Spirit of God that would come upon these people. However, they were false in their teaching, false in their doctrine, which led them to live false lives of sin because, of, because their doctrine and their teaching was false, even though that true anointing fell on them and they truly had a baptism of the Holy Spirit, but it did not cause regenerative life to, to come into their souls. And the second text he read was from Hebrews 6. Let's turn there, if you will. Hebrews chapter 6. That says something that uh, Brother Branham said. It was just very shocking to him. For it is impossible. I'm going to start here at verse 4, Hebrews 6. It is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost. So we're not just talking about people who um, maybe who are just thinking about becoming Christians, sitting on the sidelines, so to speak, maybe just churchgoers who, uh, who have never been baptized by the Holy Spirit. These are partakers of the Holy Ghost. These are those that have experienced the gifts of the Spirit in their life, maybe speaking in tongues, maybe prophesying, maybe one of the other spiritual gifts. And have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If they shall fall away to renew them again into repentance, seeing that they crucified in themselves the Son of God afresh and put him to an open shame. And Brother Branham looks at this and he says, these people, have, they've, they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. They've tasted of the, and, and, they've, and they've seen the powers of God. They haven't just seen it with their eyes. They have had the Holy Spirit cloaked them like a mantle and yet have fallen away. And then he read this, For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh oft upon it and bringeth forth herbs, meat for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh unto cursing, whose end it is to be burned. And so what we find is that as Brother Branham was pondering on this, he had a vision. And in this vision that he had at Green Mill, he saw a man in white going out and he was sowing good grain. And then he saw a man dressed in black, kind of shifty looking, coming around behind him. And he would sow um, thorns and briars and thistles and weeds. And, um, and as it turns out, the rain began to fall because both the weeds and the, and the true grain, they were crying out to God for rain to come. And God sent rain and the rain began to fall, not just on the good grains, but on the weeds and everything. And they both lifted up their heads and began praising God. But yet one was a weed and one was a grain. Um, it, when I was reading this, I was kind of reminded of a, um, sometimes I, I, I judge a science fair for elementary schools. And there's always this experiment where you see a dead little plant and a live plant that looks healthy. And you, and you say, what happened here? And the child will say, well, I gave water to this one, and I withheld water from the other one, and this is what happened. <laughs> it seems obvious, right? And so you've got, you've got a dead, dried up, worthless plant. It, 
It's been withheld from drinking the water. The rain didn't fall on it. But that's not what God does. A lot of times you see, um, you know, you think, well, if you don't have the spirit, you know you're going to dry up and die. That's true. But God sends the rain on the just and on the unjust. And it can be so deceiving because now you've got two big, healthy plants that look the same. But yet, one is a true seed and one is not. So that's the picture that we're trying to get here. So... Brother Branham also talks about the, the process of grafting, where you put a branch into a tree that begins to bear a different fruit. And um, it's not the true tree. The life comes from the tree. The same sap coming up from the trunk uh, provides life for the grafted branch as well as the true branch. But if the bran- tree ever puts forth a new branch, it'll be the true branch. It bears the true fruit. And so Brother Brennan began to recognize that it's not the fact that something has life or that something rejoices in the Spirit or that something has the gifts of the Spirit that shows that it's the the true life of God because the life of God is in all. However, it's the fruit that it bears. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. So what I want to do is sort of take what Brother Branham did and look at the Old Testament. Because the Old Testament, not only does it type the New Testament, he said like a shadow of a hand on the wall shows that this is a type of your actual hand that's out here. It's a bringing forward of reality into the New Testament. But it can also show us that just because you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, it may show the um, gifts thereof, that is no guarantee. You have to show the fruit and you have to uh, bear the witness to what Christ said is the evidence of true Christianity. What is that? It's the love we show to one another and it's staying with the word and not departing from it. So one of the first types I'm going to look at, of course, we've already talked about a little bit, is Saul and David. Saul and David were both baptized in the same baptism. In other words, Samuel, the prophet, uh, earlier had given Saul the same anointing that he gave to David later on. In fact, he gave David his anointing in secret because Saul was already God's anointed. But yet he said, um, because Saul has turned away from God's word, now I'm going to bring that anointing on to David. And he anointed his head as well. And David had the same anointing as Saul. And not only that, but with Saul, we get this sort of this picture of how you can have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and it doesn't change you within. So there were uh, at least once, maybe twice, where Saul, uh, in his pursuit of David, uh, came upon a school of prophets. And you know what? He was so caught up in the spirit of it that he had what you and I might call a Pentecostal experience. He began to uh, fall on his face. At one point, he uh, even frothed at the mouth. He rolled around. He might be called a holy roller. And all all that is good because, you know what? That was the true anointing of God in the presence of that school of prophets that fell upon Saul, and he rejoiced in it. He gave God the glory for it. And you know what? He began to prophesy his own self. He became a, he became a true prophet. And to the point where the people said, is Saul also among the prophets? 
In fact, he prophesied all day before Samuel. That was a great testimony, but yet then he can turn right around and an evil spirit enter him and, 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 and try to kill a man with a javelin that, uh, that is totally innocent. And so this going back and forth between evil spirits uh, possession, possessing you, being baptized with the, with the true Holy Ghost and experiencing the good gifts of God, unless there's a royal seed of Abraham down inside of you to begin to sprout and give life, um, beware of a, of a true baptism, I'm not going to call it a false baptism, that does not produce life. And this is where we find the uh, New Testament takes hold. Christ, after he went into the ground and came back up, now that the, uh, the, the grain has fallen into the ground, <clears throat> it comes back up, now we can, we can all partake in that life. So that's the difference between the Old and New Testament when we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Yet we get in our minds, oh, because we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that means we automatically have a new life. But that's not true. Saul had the same baptism of the Holy Spirit that those um, uh, men in Pentecost that Brother Branham uh, observed had. They prophesied. They fell down before God. They... they, uh, they displayed all the signs of the possession of the Spirit that Saul had. And yet, after it was gone, they were still as dead in their sins as they were before it came. So why is it that we get this idea that the baptism of the Spirit saves us and regenerates us? And I think this is due to some false teachings by the church. In other words... Um, <clears throat> There's a substitution, a doctrinal substitution that took place early on in the church. And it said that um, the true Christ living in you uh, isn't just something that everybody can attain. In other words, uh, the presence of Christ in all believers was withheld by the church. And the church began to teach that the presence of Christ can only be granted to you by an ordained priest. And he gives it to you and places it in the palm of your hand and says, here's the presence of Christ. It's for your enjoyment and your, and your inclusion in the body. And so, at some point, the true baptism was also substituted. And so a true believer's baptism, where someone expresses faith in Christ, they experience the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they begin to display the fruit thereof, and they ask to become baptized. At some point, that was replaced with just an, uh, an infant baptism that was called regeneration. And so you're taking what is real and what is spiritual and replacing it with something that is contrived and something that is carnal. And I believe that also happened with the idea of the Holy Spirit. In other words, the true indwelling of Christ, the true turn rebirth, the true changing in the nature was so suppressed and crushed by the hierarchy of the church in the 4th and 5th centuries and beyond that when Pentecost finally came, 
and people started recognizing, hey, this is the baptism of the Holy Spirit that happened in the Bible, the automatic assumption was with these people who are having the baptism of the Spirit, that's as salvation as salvation can get, when in reality, the suppression of the true nature of the indwelling Christ of the church had been so complete that we kind of lose track of what Christ did. And if an Old Testament baptism of the Spirit is what saves us, then Christ died in vain because that does not bring righteousness. When Brother Branham was teaching anointed ones at the end times, he had a couple of a couple more types from the Old Testament. One was Balaam and Moses. Balaam, being the Gentile prophet, was a true prophet. He had a true anointing, and yet his doctrine was false, and his teaching was false and perverted, and he brought the Israelites in with him through that true anointing that deceived the non-elect. Um, they fell into ruin. And he also talks about Janus and Jambres. If you remember, the magicians of Pharaoh. 2 Timothy 3, it says that in the last days, Janus and Jambres will, will be here again. And it is an imitation of something that was real, but yet it, there was a true um, anointing there, he said, that deceived all but the elect. And what I'd like to do is sort of pull it forward a little bit, maybe into the New Testament. There are some types there as well. Um, the second messenger, Irenaeus, he had a whole volume of work called Against Heresies in which he attacked a, um, a Christian leader named uh, Valentinus, who was um, a charismatic leader. He displayed all of the gifts of the Spirit, yet his teachings were false. And what he taught was actually the seeds of the Trinity. Um, a lot of people don't know this, but Valentinus, the one, the one who um, Irenaeus is preaching against, was the first one to use the word Trinity. And he used it to describe the nature of God. And, and the Valentinians were Platonists, which means they followed the philosopher Plato. And so they had this idea of, a, of this, um, this God who is all in all, and then an intermediary that they called the Demiurge that was between him and the creation, which was um, the world, the universe. And so he came up with this trinity based on the ideas of air, water, earth, fire. And he said the true trinity is air, water, earth. And then the fire that goes in between all three of those is what connects them all. And so this one uh, overarching uh, fire that connects them all, they, the Valentinians called the forefather. And from that proceeded the father and the human, which is sort of the son. And then from the human proceeded the word. And, and then from there, uh, the, uh, the other gifts of the spirit, etc. They were Christians, and they were using... Um, Greek terminology in order to describe what they felt was a description of the true God. And Irenaeus stood up to this and he said, you're creating a useless monster. Irenaeus was not a Trinitarian. But yet from this, we find that centuries later, it was such a popular concept that now we have this idea of a triune God, very similar to what the Valentinians had. And within that, 
you've got these different elements of Father and, and God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And they're not the same as each other, but they all are this ultimate triune God. And the Holy Spirit proceeds from the uh, Father and the Son, and etc. And the Son proceeds from the Father. And you know what? They got so caught up in this scientific formula, which they believed uh, really described God, that was really just a reaction and a, and a, and a vestige of the teaching of the Valentinians, that they begin to get away from what the true God was. And so instead of Christ living in us, as he says in John 14, the baptism of the Holy Spirit was just the third person of the Godhead coming in and doing his work and make, making people act a little funny or, making, or giving some gifts. And so, um, and so what we find is we get this confusion that comes on about what is the Holy Spirit and what is the work of the Holy Spirit. If he's the third person of a triune God, then you're going to have a totally different conception than if you believe that he is the spirit of Christ that dwells in us after Christ um, was risen and sitting at the right hand of the Father. And in fact, God said, Christ said, you'll know they're Christians if they follow my commands. You know they're Christians by the love that they show to one another. The biggest schism in the church the church ever had was arguing on whether the Holy Spirit proceeded from the Father and the Son, or just the Father. From that, you've got the schism between the East and the West, between Rome and Constantinople, that's led to so many wars and massive bloodshed that you begin to, to find that the love of Christ starts to look like pagan hate. And um, when you replace the true God with the triune formula, what do you expect? The love of God vanishes from it. I want to read Matthew 7. You'll know them by their fruits. It says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. Brother Brandon preached a message called The Lamb and the Dove, one of, these, one of the greatest that you'll ever read. And it says that the nature that the Holy Spirit falls upon, when that dove comes down, if it interacts with the nature of the Lamb, then there's a union that takes place and the Lamb begins to be led by the dove. That's the true baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now the dove may come upon the ravenous wolf, but the nature of the wolf is going to be so grievous to the dove that the dove will leave it. That is a superficial baptism of the Holy Spirit that may produce gifts, but if they're wolves, they're wolves. It's the nature that causes the plant to be what it is, not whether or not it gets the water. So false prophets, sheeps outwardly, inwardly ravenous wolves, but you will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Verse 17, even so every good tree bears good fruit and a bad tree bears bad fruit. And a good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. So he's not saying that one tree has life and one does not. He says, look at the actual produce, production of fruit once that life is in it, once that rain has fallen. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits do you know them. Not that every tree that didn't receive water is cut down and thrown into the fire, but by your fruit, not by the fact that it has life, Will you know it? 
That's totally contrary to most teachings in denominational churches today. He goes on and says in verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is the New King James Version. And you know what Brother Branham said, sort of quoting the people that are going to be in this predicament when they face Christ? Well, the Holy Ghost fell on me. He says, I don't doubt that a bit. This is an anointed one at the end time. I spoke in tongues. I sang in the Spirit. I done. I don't doubt that one bit. No question to that. Oh, brother, sister, what kind of condition? When Moses looked down through the years and saw Christ in a prophetic sense, he says, um, God will raise up a prophet like unto me. And if you don't hear him, you're going to be cut off. And um, there's a, in John 11, the high priest Caiaphas begins to prophesy. And you know what? It's a true prophecy. He's anointed with the Spirit of God, and he begins to prophesy. One of them, Caiaphas, being the high priest that year, said to them, this is John 11, You know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. Now John, writing this, gives a little commentary on it. He says, now this he did not say on his own authority. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. And not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. And so just like Moses making intercession For the Israelites, Caiaphas, in the position of Balaam, prophesied that Christ would make intercession for his nation. That he would die for his nation, not only the nation of Israel, but for all of God's children scattered abroad. And just like Balaam, when Caiaphas prophesied, he didn't know what he was saying probably. And um, when the Spirit of God took a hold of him, it wasn't, as the Bible says, as John says, he didn't say it on his own authority. That was God speaking through him, a true anointing, a true prophecy, a true prophet being the high priest that year. Brother Branham says, Caiaphas, the high priest, prophesied. How many knows that? Caiaphas prophesied. Notice the position of the weed in the field. It's watered by the same anointing. Why did the Bible say he prophesied? Because he was a high priest that year. A rotten scavenger. This is the same high priest that clamored for Christ's death. A weed and a thistle setting among the wheat, but the Spirit was upon him. The genuine Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God was upon him to preach, prophesy, and foretell it to come to pass, and denied and crucified the very vindicated word 
of the hour. That's Brother Branham and the anointed ones at the end time. So Christ had his Balaam moment with Caiaphas, a true, a true prophet. But yet, he crucified the living Christ. So we find out it's not prophesying. It's not casting out devils, not speaking in tongues. All of those things are wonderful. They are the foretaste of things to come. They are the promise that's given to us, the Holy Spirit. But a lot of times we say to ourselves, how can this be that God would send his Holy Spirit into an unworthy vessel? And the fact is, that's not up for us to decide uh, what kind of vessel God wants to, to, uh, to anoint. In fact, um, a lot of times we'll give too much glory to the devil, to Satan, when it's actually God that's bringing something about to pass. Uh, Brother Branham tells the story of uh, Micaiah, who has the vision of God sending a lying spirit into the prophets of Baal and into, um, into Z- uh, Zedidiah. The, the same one who were the, the iron horns and prophesied to Ahab that you're going to win the battle. That was a true prophecy. A lying spirit sent in order to deceive Ahab so that he would go out and die and then Micaiah's prophecy would come true. And when we see those juxtaposed against each other, we think to ourselves, why would this happen? In the New Testament, we have something very similar. We're told that God would give them over to a, um, a strong delusion. Why would he do that? Well, remember, every time there's a delusion, there's also a warning that accompanies it and a true prophecy that accompanies it. And it's the way of God's way of dividing the just from the unjust in the same way that he's going to do at the end of time. Um, what I want to do is, I've got, a, I've got some quotes here where just proof time after time, and Brother Brandon references as well, where God seems to be unjust in allowing his spirit to come upon unworthy vessels or bringing calamity in order to show forth his truth and his wonders. And what I want to do is sort of read to you now what we're really supposed to be looking for. Let's jump to John 13, verse 33. It says, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. As I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. He didn't say, you'll know, they'll know you're my disciples. If you can speak in tongues, or if you can prophesy, or if you can cast out devils, 
He said, if you have love for one another, it's just, it's so simple. But yet, unless you're a true child of God, you'll never achieve it. In chapter 14, beginning at verse 15, he said, if you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. Now this is the Holy Spirit that he's referring to, the Perclet, the comforter that he's going to send, but he just said the world cannot receive. Now we already know that the world, there are those that are going to be, have the baptism of that spirit, but they can't receive it. And that's what separates a true Christian from someone who has just experienced the reign and the goodness of God. And they have received that Holy Spirit into them, and it starts to bear fruit. Because it neither sees Him nor knows Him, the world, neither sees Him or knows Him, but you know Him, for He dwells with you. This is before Christ's death. He dwells with you, speaking of Himself, and will be in you. This is the future. This is after the resurrection. He's with you now, but He will be in you. Not upon you, so that you can experience the goodness and then it lifts off and you're back to the same sinful life as you were before. You know, um, in Matthew 12, Christ talks about someone who has a demon cast out. And you know what? After that happens, he says, it's like a house that's been emptied. It's put in order. Swept clean, that's a good feeling, right? To have your house clean, but it's empty. And the demon comes back with seven of its friends, and what happens is that possession is worse than before. Because that, that who had the demon cast out did not receive Christ. But if you receive him, then you become sealed. He says, I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. A little while longer, the world will see me no more, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And that day you'll know that I am in my Father, you in me, I in you. This is, this is the true nature of God, not a, not a triune God. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. But he says, and I in you. And this is why I wanted to title my sermon tonight, Christ Liveth in Me. Because the true baptism of the Holy Spirit is not the rain that we feel when we're in the, in the, um, in the presence of the gifts taking place in a, in a congregation. But it's that true indwelling that happens. The Holy Spirit has to fall on you. It sure does. But then what that is, it's not some third person of the Trinity that um, that falls on you and then and then takes care of you or whatnot, like uh, sort of we've been taught to believe by church history, but that is the true spirit of Christ Himself. That when it comes upon you, in His life, begins to um, bear good fruit in response when that lamb meets the dove that that comes down. Then that is truly Christ. Living in you. First, Second Corinthians 1, 
Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ has anointed us and, and has anointed us is God who has also sealed us and given the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Not an outward showing, though that happens. It happens for the just, but it also happens for the unjust. Now, if, you're, if you aren't in the Spirit, if you've never had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, well, you know what? That's a different category. That's, you don't want to be one of those on whom the rain has never fallen. Yes, you're going to be a dried, dead plant, just like in the science experiment. But if the Holy Spirit falls on you and begins to come in your life and to cause a change, a new birth, it's just like um, a new baby being born, and then that fruit begins to manifest itself, then you know that you are a true seed of God. Not because you spoke in tongues, not because you may have prophesied, etc. I hope that you did. But that is not what shows the true indwelling of Christ. When you begin to show the fruit of love and the following of His commands, which says, love God and love your fellow, then you you begin to have that assurance that the life of Christ has taken root. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Jesus, for this beautiful afternoon. The temperatures have warmed up, and uh, we can see outside that uh, the plants automatically respond to a little moisture and to a little little sunlight. And we want to be like that. When when your rain falls upon us, we want to give you the glory. We want to uh, spring up. We want to rejoice. But yet, that, that can't be all of it. We want to begin to grow. Not just to grow, but we want to begin to produce. To produce what's in us and just needs the watering of the Word and the, and the watering of the Spirit. And we produce those fruits. And you know what? The weeds beside us that maybe they had also experience the rain and the rejoicing. We find that suddenly the Spirit didn't produce in them good fruit. But we begin to see that, sure enough, bad fruit is being born. It's confusing. And, and it can call us, cause us to falter, cause us to doubt. But Lord, I pray that we don't let us put our trust in a man that we looked at and said, that man is anointed of God. He's a man of God. And then see that man fall away. Maybe even curse God. Leave the faith. It causes us to stumble. It causes us to wonder if we might also be the same. Lord, let us just be able to look and see the, the fruit that you've produced in us. To see the growth that we've made. To see um, the work of the water and the sunlight. And to see that we're producing fruit that is good and that won't be cast into the fire. 
but that will help out the body of Christ and cause us all to join together in the same baptism, in the same anointing, and point towards you. I pray that you'll just give us that assurance that not only we've had the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but now it's taken root in our hearts and that we are truly a lamb being led by your holy dove. I pray that it will be a comfort to us and also that we will not be deceived when anointed ones seem to try to draw us away from the word. We can say in our hearts, by their fruit you shall know them. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.